When you want to accomplish something big in baseball and in the world, cooperation is invaluable. There is undoubtedly strength in numbers, strength to do good and to do evil. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! I'm sure that nothing I said in the introduction shocked you. As a matter of fact, it's not likely even news to you. But every now and then, we need to be reminded of the truth that there is strength in numbers. After all, if it was good enough for King Jesus to tell us and remind us throughout the scriptures, then I think it's fine for me to do so. The other thing is that I was reminded myself from a baseball perspective of this truth on several fronts over the past week. One of those was listening to an interview with Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart, the former Major League pitcher, during his time There was a period of time in which he was one of the best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. Dave Stewart, who has been a front office executive. Dave Stewart, who has relocated and now lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Dave Stewart, who is a part of a group seeking to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville. Major League Baseball will expand. It's probably at least three years down the road, but they will add two teams. There are any number of cities, I'm going to say probably four to maybe six, that have a legitimate shot at getting a Major League Baseball team. Nashville being toward the top of that list. Dave Stewart is a part of a group working hard to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville. They would be called the Nashville Stars. As a matter of fact, the Nashville Stars already have a Twitter feed. They already have merchandise. They have a lot of things, but they don't have a Major League Baseball team yet. But in listening to this interview, Dave Stewart brought out something that sometimes is overlooked. Again, he's a very recognizable name, a very recognizable face. Other people are involved that bring a lot of money to the table. But he talked about all of the people, the vast number of people, some of whom none of us know about, that work so tirelessly, so diligently for this goal of bringing the Nashville Stars or bringing Major League Baseball to Nashville. And that reminded me again of that. Not only the strength in numbers, but so often those numbers are not necessarily names and people we are familiar with. Another reminder that happened this past week was we hit September 1st. And that means September call-ups. Now, it's not like in the past where teams were able to expand their rosters vastly, up to even 40 players, But it's still very important. And there are teams that are calling up players for the first time. These guys are getting their first taste of Major League Baseball. In many cases, it's a recall of somebody that's been in the big leagues. For the teams that do not have an opportunity to get to the postseason, they may be calling up that guy for the first time to say, okay, let's see what he can do for a month. Let's see what our plans are for him for 2023 and beyond. For the teams that have a chance to get it into the postseason, they want to add to their numbers and hope they become better by having, let's say, a pinch runner. 
a left-handed hitter off the bench, an important bullpen arm. And they hope these players can help them make that push over the final month and get into the postseason. Now, every team has, at most, 30 games left in their schedule. By the way I look at things, I believe there are 13 teams that still have a legitimate shot at making the postseason. Of course, by the, well, not the end of this month, but into October, we'll know which teams did and which teams didn't. One team that may, though I'm guessing they won't, but that may, they're still in it. They still have a chance at a wild card spot is a team I haven't talked about much at all throughout this season. And to one degree, it's understandable. This team has been so bad for quite a long time and appeared not even trying to be competitive from an ownership standpoint, but this year they have been competitive. This year they've had, by their, by their standard, a great season. And potentially by any standard might have a great season if they get that AL wildcard spot. That would be the Baltimore Orioles. They are still in contention for the postseason. And they are, despite trading one of their best players, one of their most popular players, a clubhouse leader in Trey Mancini, and their closer, Jorge Lopez. Going into today, they have a 71-62 and record. And they have 29 games remaining. And they still have a shot. I don't think they'll make the postseason, but they have a shot. And with 71 wins, they have become only the sixth team since 1900 in Major League Baseball, to lose 110 games one season and win 70, 70 or more, the next. They've already won 71. They have 29 games left. Definitely a great turnaround for a great franchise that has been very, very bad for some time. Somebody made the argument, and I would have to agree with them, that given what has happened with the Orioles this year, their manager, Brandon Hyde, has to be named AL Manager of the Year. So whether we're talking about a team that doesn't yet exist, the Nashville Stars, teams that are contending for the postseason, or a team like the Orioles trying to turn things around not only in 2022, but as a franchise, we see it's never simply one person. Regardless of how important that person is, how talented that person is, whatever the case may be, it's always a collective effort. Now, I say that, but I also have to recognize not everybody sees things this way. Sometimes a person tries to do things all alone. Lose. Right. So you have to go up there, look at this swing early in the count, and that's why his pitch count's so low. Wow. At the knees, that ties his career high. 13 of them. One ball, two strikes. Swing and a miss. It's a new career high. 14 strikeouts for Spencer Strider. There it is. Did he get him up? Yeah. yeah, he did. Good call. That ties the Atlanta record. Spencer Strider just struck out his 15th Colorado Rocky, matching John Smoltz for most in Atlanta history. Let's go. Sweet 16 <laughs> for Spencer Strider and a new now i was joking of course of him trying to do it on his own but 16 strikeouts in eight innings that game was on thursday against the rockies in atlanta and his line in that game eight innings pitched two hits no runs 
no walks and 16 strikeouts is a line for a pitcher that has never happened in Major League Baseball history until Spencer Strider did it on Thursday. On the season, he has a 9-4 record, a 2.67 ERA, a 0.98 whip. He has pitched 114 and two-thirds innings. He has given up only 74 hits, walked 38, and he has struck out 174. That's 13.7 strikeouts per nine innings pitched. And either he will be the NL Rookie of the Year or his Braves teammate, Michael Harris II, will win that award. And those two men are two reasons, among many, why the Braves have a very good team. The Braves who are the defending World Series champions. And going into today, Monday, they are only one game behind the Mets in the NL East. Now, I was looking on Saturday late morning at the games coming up that afternoon and evening. And when I was looking at the starting pitchers, I thought, man, there are a lot of guys taking the mound tonight that are some of the best pitchers in baseball. Some who have been the best for a long period of time. Many who are among the best in the 2022 season. Many who are competing either in the AL or NL for a Cy Young Award. One of those who's contending for a Cy Young Award nearly made history. Listen to the cease chance. To right center field and arise. Ends ceases chance at history. Eight and two-thirds innings pitched against the Twins, no hits. And with two outs in the top of the ninth, Luis Arise gets a knock, breaks up the no-hitter. Now, when Arise came to the plate, A.J. Pruszynski was doing color on this game, at least the one that I was watching. And as soon as Arise came to the plate, at the time Arise was leading the American League in batting average... Przinski, thinking like a catcher, thinking like a catcher who has caught no-hitters and has caught near-no-hitters, he said right away, I'm throwing him four sliders out of the zone. If he chases, if he gets himself out, so be it. I am not letting this guy beat me. There wasn't a perfect game on the line, so that, that wasn't going to matter. And Dylan Cease put a slider, that the hit came on a slider that was mid-thigh, middle of the plate. He obviously wasn't trying to throw it there. But he didn't follow what Przinski had recommended. And of course, he didn't hear Przinski either. And then, as Przinski said, before the at-bat, when Arise came up, four sliders out of the zone, and then I'm going after the next batter, Kyle Garlick. I'm not letting Arise break up the snow hitter. After Arise got the knock, the next batter was Kyle Garlick. He struck out quite easily, and the game was over. A great game, near history for a man who is definitely contending for the American League Cy Young Award. As it regards the White Sox as a team, they've had a lot of injuries this year. They have not played well, and right now they're playing without their manager. Tony La Russa has some health issues of some sort and has been away from the team. But given all of those things, they still have a shot. They're one of those 13 teams I mentioned that I believe still have a legitimate chance at making the postseason. A team that is going to make the postseason, but has been struggling mightily of late, especially since the trade deadline, 
is struggling despite having the person who is likely going to win the American League MVP. Drill deep to left field. If it's fair, it's gone. It is gone. Home run number 53 and a 1-0 Yankee lead. He is amazing. Aaron Judge hitting his 53rd home run of the season yesterday. He is on pace for 64. But we see here, here's a man, again, I would vote for Shohei Otani just because I just, I believe that's what it is. But I get it if people vote for Judge. But here's the situation. Regardless, whether he finishes first or second in the MVP voting in the AL, here's a man who's doing everything he can, but he cannot carry a whole team by himself. Not long ago, the Yankees had a 15 and a half game lead in the American League East. Now, they have only a five-game lead over Tampa and six over the Blue Jays. And outside of Aaron Judge, they've had difficulty scoring runs. As a team, of their past 10 home runs, Aaron Judge has hit seven. As a team, of their most recent 21 RBI, Judge has 11. Now, I've replayed a clip in the past. I believe it was Otani hitting a ball. But did you hear the sound of the ball hitting the bat with Aaron Judge? That's a sound that you don't hear except at the major league level. As a matter of fact, that's a sound you don't hear except among elite major league baseball players. And in case you missed it with Judge, here it is by a different man. Right there. The 0-1 pitch. Wow, 695, and a huge situation. That was the bottom of the eighth. The game was 0-0. As you heard, he pinch hit. That put the Cardinals up 2-0, and they won the game 2-0. What an amazing finish to a phenomenal career. I'm going to say, and I fit in this category, at the beginning of the season, there were a lot of people that wanted Pujols to hit 700, but didn't think he could. Now there are a lot of people that realize he most definitely can. And I hope everybody that's a fan of baseball is saying, and I hope he does. What a great way to end a phenomenal first ballot, surefire Hall of Fame career. And he's doing this with a team that has been playing extremely well. I would say with the Dodgers and Astros, the Cardinals have been playing as well as any team. And I guess I got to throw the Braves in there as well. And they now have an eight and a half game lead in the NL Central over the Milwaukee Brewers. So a lot of things happening this past week on the field. But two major news stories broke that had to do with things off the field. One was reported on Monday, the other on Wednesday. On Monday, we learned that the Major League Baseball Players Association is willing to represent minor league baseball players. It was reported by a number of people, as a matter of fact, very far and wide on Monday. I'm going to read portions of an article that was on MLB Trade Rumors, and it was written by Steve Adams. The article begins with these words. In what could mark a monumental change for minor league players and for Major League Baseball alike, the Major League Baseball Players Association, 
sent authorization cards to all minor league players late Sunday evening, wherein the minor leaguers were asked to vote on designating the MLBPA as their collective bargaining representatives. This is indeed huge news. Now, in one sense, it's no news at all yet, because a couple of things have to happen. First, at least 30% of all minor league players have to sign these authorization cards. Then if that happens, there's a vote. And at least 50% of minor league players have to vote in favor of the Major League Baseball Players Association becoming their collective bargaining arm. If that happens, however, the minor leaguers will be encompassed under the Major League Baseball Players Association. Tony Clark, who's the executive director of the MLBPA, cited these reasons for why they decided to give minor leaguers this opportunity. He said, poverty wages, oppressive reserve rules, discipline without due process, ever-expanding off-season obligations, appropriation of intellectual property, substandard attention to player health and safety, and a chronic lack of respect for minor leaguers as a whole. Clark said those were the reasons, those were the key factors in giving minor leaguers this opportunity. And in that article, it mentioned that typically somebody playing rookie ball makes $4,800, and somebody at the AAA level, the highest level of minor league baseball, makes $15,400. That's not a month. That's a year. $4,800 a year for rookie ball players. $15,400 a year for AAA players. Now, if a guy has big league time, if a guy has been on a major league roster, if a guy is a six-year minor league free agent, they can make more than that. And often they do, sometimes much more than that. But the vast majority of minor league players make between $5,000 and $15,000 per year. Again, it's not official, and it's probably going to take some time, maybe months, before we find out. But if it becomes official, I think this is a good thing overall. Now, I'm in a chat group with a bunch of brothers in Christ who are avid baseball fans, and I asked them their view, and they all agreed. They thought, generally, this was good. And generally, unions are good. They can be abused. They can act in a sinful manner but generally they are good. That's always been my view, but I have a good friend several years ago who said, I think from from a Christian perspective, you shouldn't be pro-union. But I think it's good. And I think if it happens, it will be very good. But, but, I also believe firmly that there will be some consequences for minor league players and for some cities that have minor league teams. Some negative consequences. Consequences they and we may not like. Now, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper discussed this topic Friday on the Athletic Baseball Show, and they too thought there's some bad things likely coming down the road. So yeah, Major League Baseball is going to threaten. They might follow through too. It's bad faith. Don't let them do it. It's almost a certainty that that's the way things are are going to play out. Oh yeah. I guess I wonder beyond that step, are we going to see more of an academy style system for developing players, right? Eventually you could take away enough minor league affiliates. You're not going to have enough places to play the players that you want to have in your organization. You've already talked about the absence of, of short season affiliates and the impact that's having on player development now. So if you think about tearing away another 20, 30, 40 minor league teams, whatever that final number would end up being, that makes an already growing problem for player development an even greater problem. Yes. Yes to all of this. 
Major League Baseball wants players to develop. They just don't want to pay for it. That's really what it is. You know, they were fine running large teams, large farm systems, et cetera, et cetera, when they didn't have to cover the costs. And now what we are seeing, of course, is um, Major League Baseball has to pay more of these costs. They've had to, you know, they've had to improve living conditions for the players. Now they are likely to have to increase salary and maybe increase benefits or increase other guarantees to players. And they're going to really not like that, even though it is a minuscule fraction of their annual expenses. It doesn't matter. Major League Baseball's owners have demonstrated throughout their history, they'll pinch a penny until it screams. And they, and especially if that penny was going to go to one of the human beings who plays baseball, the actual product, those are the last things they want. And so I have absolutely zero faith that Major League Baseball will respond to this in a fair and equitable manner. They are going to threaten to cut the minor leagues as much as possible. And they're going to run to Congress to do it, by the way, because it's what they did last time. Now, you may be thinking, man, that sounds pretty pessimistic, maybe even harsh. Well, it might sound that way. But based on my experience, both as a player decades ago and as a coach just a few years ago, I can't disagree with what they said. I believe that they are, in the main, correct on what is likely to happen. Now again, this news broke on Monday. And there hasn't been a lot of of coverage since Monday or Tuesday. But that's because, again, we're months down the road, probably in the offseason, before we find out if this actually happens. However... When it did break, virtually every Major League Baseball source that I follow and read reported on it. But on Wednesday, a story broke, and I did not see one Major League Baseball source report on this story. It was a story in National Review. It was written by Nate Hockman. The headline, MLB's Unseemly Support for Youth Gender Transitions. Dated August 31st, 2022 at 6.30 a.m. The article begins, At least 20 teams have promoted or funded groups that advocate or are directly involved in child gender transitions. And he goes on. And he says that many Major League Baseball teams, some of the most prominent franchises, have begun to promote or fund groups that encourage or provide sex change procedures, and gender transition hormone treatment for minors, for minors as young as 12. He said other organizations promote, quote-unquote, social transitions, that is, non-medical changes in, quote-unquote, gender expression. And this would include the adoption of new names, pronouns, and clothing. And this, hold on, and this for children as young as three. You've got to read the whole article. It's lengthy. I'm just going to highlight what he points out as it regards various ways teams are involved. His first heading is medical interventions. And he says five Major League Baseball teams have pride nights, and in those pride nights, they partnered with organizations that perform medical gender transitions on minors. Those teams are the Detroit Tigers, Boston Red Sox, Milwaukee Brewers, Tampa Bay Rays, and Cleveland Guardians. Then he says there are four teams that partnered with organizations that provide counseling and referrals for youth medical transitions, or they partner with clinics that perform youth transitions. Those teams, Dodgers, Pirates, Padres, A's. Five teams partnered with organizations that provide resources for and often actively encourage 
youth sex changes. Those teams, Cincinnati, Houston, Arizona, Philadelphia, and Colorado. Finally, six teams have partnered with organizations that advocate, promote, or lobby for youth gender transitions in public policy. Those teams, the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, the Los Angeles Angels, the Minnesota Twins, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Washington Nationals. And he reports that this partnership takes place via what they do on their quote-unquote pride nights. So that leaves 10 teams that weren't named in this report. I'm going to name one and then go through them alphabetically. The one I'm going to name first is first because not only are they not named in this report, they are the only Major League Baseball team who has yet to host a pride night. And if you remember a podcast a while back, they actually had a pride night this year, Charlie Pride. (laughs) It's the Texas Rangers. Beside the Rangers, teams not named in this report, the Braves, the Orioles, the Royals, the Marlins, the Mets, the Yankees, the Mariners, the Giants, and the Blue Jays. Now, this was reported in National Review. It is called an investigative report. And because of that, I got to believe it's accurate. But I'm to the point in my life where basically I don't believe anything, whether it makes sense to believe it or it doesn't, whether it's something I hope is true or I don't, simply because things are thrown out there so easily without being substantiated. But given the source and given that it was an investigative report, I believe it probably is accurate. Now, Nate Hockman wrote that the National Review magazine or or the company contacted the 20 teams listed and contacted Major League Baseball as an organization seeking comment, but none of them made any statements at the time he wrote this article, which was last Wednesday. Later in the article, he talks about the way forward, and he writes, of the quote-unquote holy trinity of American professional sports, and he lists Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL, baseball was long seen as the most culturally conservative. Well, as an industry, I would say no more. I still am saying, as it regards people that put on a uniform, it would still fit in that category. Now, later, there was something written by Hamilton Porter in Not the Bee. He wrote, Yelp, it looks like Major League Baseball is completely aboard the woke train. And then he talks about the entire league, with possibly the exception of the Rangers, seems to be supporting a whole lot of stuff that is anti-family and that is really uh, doing wicked, evil, harmful things to children. And then it closes with these words. Sure, the Guardians are helping to castrate boys and cut the breasts off girls, but at least they aren't the Indians anymore. Very, very sad. Pastor Tom Iaskel linked this article on Twitter and then wrote these words. I enjoy sports, but gave up on professional sports long ago. The last few years have confirmed to me that decision. This article shows the force of wickedness that at MLB has become. Major league butchering of children. May God have mercy. Is that the truth? We we have to cry out to God for mercy for what's going on in our nation and in Major League Baseball. Now, I wrote, Pastor Joshua Jenkins. You may remember he was a guest in the bullpen several months ago, 
And since I am promoting him and encouraging that he become the next commissioner of Major League Baseball, I wanted to get his take on this situation. Here's what he wrote to me. A league which is so concerned about gaining young fans and yet actively supports mutilating and destroying those young fans is the height of hypocrisy and can only be explained by the deceitfulness of sin and the spirit of the age which blinds the minds of unbelievers. With each passing day, Major League Baseball is making sure they won't have the young fans they are desperately trying to attract. And they won't have these young fans, not necessarily because what they're doing bothers the young fans, but because as the years go by, there's going to be an absence of additional young fans. For sterile sex, as Jeff Schaefer reminds us, has consequences. Now, there are questions that come to mind over these two major reports this week. First, as it regards the National Review article, is it true? And then if you add into that, if it is fundamentally accurate, and if indeed minor league players become a part of the MLBPA, a question I think about is this. Will the Major League Baseball Players Association support and defend any player, whether that's a major leaguer on his way to the Hall of Fame, or a minor leaguer who is not likely to get off the complex in Florida or Arizona, will they support and defend any player if they are disciplined by the league for refusing to endorse this wickedness? Or if they become so radicalized, you know, the extremist type, that they actually publicly denounce such evil. But maybe the more important, the more immediate, the more significant question is, Will there be a single player at any level who does so? But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.